Can a progressive knock out the biggest hawk in the Democratic Party, the one most beholden to the defense contractors? Well, we're gonna find out. Joining us now is Stephanie Gallardo. She's running against Adam Smith in Washington's 9th District. Adam Smith is the aforementioned hawk who takes tons of money from the defense industry and funnels way more of our money to them. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, I'm really excited to be here. No problem. So last we checked in with Adam Smith, Sarah Smith was running against them. She was one of the original Justice Democrats, that was back in 2018. And she made it into the final two. So that means it was two Democrats in the general election. That was a very exciting primary. And and back then we talked about how Adam Smith had taken a ton of money from defense contractors. Now, why is that, Stephanie? Why why does he care so much about that particular industry? Well, I mean, he is the chair of the House Armed Services Committee, and uh. I think the first thing that is in his mind um, is, you know, contributing to his corporate donors rather than to the community. So I think that's the the first and foremost reason that he. Um, you know, has a opportunity to enrich the lives of other people, and is choosing to do that um, for for rich folks, for billionaires, for military contractors, rather than the people of the ninth congressional district. Yeah. So, um, Mo Brooks, a Republican, extreme right wing Republican, but uh, was honest the other day on the campaign trail. He's a, a congressman, but he's now running for Senate in Alabama, and he said, in order to be a committee chair in Washington, you basically have to get about a million dollars. And donate to the party, and the only people you're going to get the million dollars from are the people that you're regulating in that committee. Adam Smith is a poster child for that, and of course, all Democratic leadership cheers his corruption on. Stephanie, so the establishment will certainly be against you. He's an incumbent, Clyburn incoming in three, two, one. So I'm kidding about Clyburn, but he supports almost every corrupt Democrat, so that's why I brought him up. Anyways, so what's your plan of attack here? How do you plan to win the primary? Yeah, well, I think um, you know the the plan to win the primary is really based in my perspective and lens as an educator. Um, the reason I decided to run for this position was because um, I was tired of having to pay for my own school supplies. I was tired of telling students that there weren't enough counselors for them to go see when they're experiencing suicidal ideation or trauma in their lives. Um, and so young people are really our plan to win. Um, I have deep connections all across the district with young people. They're excited about this campaign. And of course, um, they're very much overlooked by the Democratic Party. And so I think that's why young people are finding a lot of hope and inspiration in this campaign because we're putting Gen Z um, at the center in everything that we do. So um, I'm curious about the state of uh, the Democratic Party in the state of Washington, okay? Because mm-hmm. in Oregon, progressives took over the party and it made a giant difference and allowed Jamie McLeod Skinner to knock off Kurt Schrader, another corrupt incumbent Democrat. Without that kind of grassroots, usually the media will just say the progressive is not credible, they'll just announce it, right? And they'll say, oh, the front runner is taking so much money, so many bribes. He's, that, that makes him wonderful. That makes him, it's legalized bribes, to be clear. So, but I don't know how it is in Washington. So. Um, what's the state of the Democratic Party there? 
Well, it's been a very interesting experience. I, you know, I have certainly voted Democratic in, you know, every election that I voted in throughout my entire life, but I never had any experience with the Democratic Party because they never came to my neighborhood. They never, you know, reached out to my community, and so there was never that um, true connection. And so, you know, when I started this campaign, I of course reached out to, to the folks that I knew who were influential and who I thought were doing great things um, within the Democratic Party here in Washington State. Um, and I've really come to find out that the Democratic Party here um, is very similar to the Democratic Party um, nationally speaking. And they are um, trying to undermine my candidacy at every turn. Um, and of course, it's to be expected, right? We have a 24 year incumbent corporate backed, does have a lot of sway in Congress, but is also somebody who can fly under the radar and get away with everything that he's getting away with because he will vote progressive on domestic policies, but he will vote extremely conservative and in fact pro-war on foreign policy. Of course, okay, so that sounds like the same story from across the country, minus Oregon and right. Vermont. Um, and a little bit of Nevada. Um, so that was a little bit more mixed bag. But okay, you're running an interesting campaign though, Stephanie. Uh, you know, you've got the standard progressive issues like Medicare for all, etc. Although some, uh, you know, mistakenly run away from that, but you're not. You're you're true blue in that sense. But you also are emphasizing um, workers' rights more than I see other candidates doing that. So tell me about that. Why did you decide to emphasize that? Absolutely. So, um, you know, first and foremost, I come from a family of Chilean socialists. Um, we were forced to come here um, after the coup in Chile, and so I always had an understanding um, of socialism and capitalism um, and what that means, um, you know, in practice in everyday life. And so, you know, capitalism to me is the root of all evil in our country. And so, my focus on workers' rights, on the power of the worker, on the power of the working class. Um, comes from my own experience being empowered as a worker um, and as a union leader within the Washington Education Association and National Education Association. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I want to fight for workers because we all know that this capitalist society that we are, um, you know, functioning within right now or barely functioning in um, is not going to work long term. And we have to come up with solutions that are worker focused, worker centered, and worker led. Yeah. So, you know, I would. Put in the word corporatism for capitalism there, and then agree. But you know, and obviously everybody's got a different shade of, of uh, progressivism. And so, but but I love that you're focusing on uh, corporate power. You don't often see that in the Democratic Party. In fact, unfortunately, you often see it in reverse, where they're like, "Corporate power, where is it? I'm looking forward to it." Right? <laughs> but you're challenging it in many different ways, including corporate contributions uh, to politicians. Um, do you, do you think that's the root of all the other problems that we're seeing in the country? Um, do you mean corporate money and politics? Corporate money and politics and corporate power overall, including in the media, of course. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it is a fact, corporate influence. Um, as you said, is is the root of all evil. And um, you know, in my own experience in this particular campaign, I am a teacher, right? I am a regular, regular teacher. And so when I started to um, think about running for Congress, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And now, um, you know, when I'm looking in retrospect at how difficult it has been for a working class 
teacher union leader Latina to run for Congress, um, it shouldn't be this difficult. And the reason it is difficult is because my opponent and many opponents all across the country um, have millions in the bank um, from corporate PACs and millions in the bank from you know millionaire donors, billionaire donors or whoever it may be. Um, and it is a seriously corrupting influence. And anybody that says in the year 2022 that corporate money in politics is not an issue, um, they are disingenuous and they should be voted out. Well, again, it's not just them. I'm gonna get to the media in a second, but I, I don't want people uh, to be confused. Uh, Stephanie doesn't have to beat Adam Smith in the primary. She just has to beat the Republicans. So then it'll be her versus Adam Smith in the general election. So in, in that district, that is very doable. As we told you earlier, Sarah Smith did it a couple of years back. So it's electgallardo.com, electgallardo.com is the website. So Stephanie, um, I, I wanna talk about the media a little bit there too, because corporate media, which is basically all of mainstream media, paints um, politics as a battle of ideas. You have ideas, Adam Smith has ideas, you guys go into an even playing field. And then if he wins, for example, that means apparently the people in that district thought he had better ideas than you. Has that been your experience in politics so far? Absolutely not, absolutely not. And I will share with you an experience. Um, so just about this time last year, I rightfully earned a union endorsement um, here in the district. 20 minutes after I announced this endorsement online, um, the political director of that particular union called me directly and said that Adam Smith called her and you know essentially berated her, um, told her you know what the heck are you doing endorsing somebody else besides me? I'm so good for labor. I'm so this and that. Um, and you know the result of that was I had my endorsement taken away from me because of the pe the pressure and power um, that Adam Smith unjustly wielded. And so to say that the, the the playing field is even is just absolutely outrageous. And to finish off this story, um, I actually did meet with Representative Smith in person um, several months ago, and I asked him directly what happened with that situation. And what he told me was, if you think that coming into politics um, at this particular time, when I have been in this field for 24 years, if you think that you have the same amount of power as I do after 24 years, you're wrong. And so I think that really um, encapsulates uh, the power that he has and he knows he has. Yeah, so look, there's a great irony there. Uh, I faced it, other progressives have faced it. Your campaign is around building uh, worker power and a union power, you were in a union, but unions are often pressured to support the most corporate candidate, the most conservative candidate among the Democrats. So in a situation like yours, how do you deal with that? Um, it's been difficult to be quite frank with you. Um, I have been taking a lot of hits from you know every single angle, but I feel really proud that um, the community that we've been able to develop through this campaign um, has only um, grown since it started over a year ago. And I have you know, learned so much on this campaign trail. And I think that as long as I'm sticking close to my values um, and you know, remaining true and fighting back at every angle possible, um, I think that I'm going to do okay in this election and I'm going to do better than okay. In fact, I am going to come into the general election in November. All right, I like that fighting attitude. Of course, the Democratic Party and, and the media won't, but oftentimes the voters do. That's why we have elections and that's why progressives keep pulling off miracle after miracle. 
In this case, she doesn't need a miracle. She just needs to get past the Republicans in a very blue district. Electgallardo.com, Stephanie Gallardo, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the time. No problem. Joe Biden's doing absolutely nothing about Joe Manchin and Krista Sinema, but some folks are, so we brought him on. Let's talk about it, what they're doing, direct action. Kai Newkirk, he's the founder for all. Um, Stephen Valencia, chair of Arizona Jobs, Jobs with Justice, and Riley Haught, lead organizer at Unpack. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much. No problem. So, Kai, uh, man, this is perfect for you. Uh, you grew up in West Virginia and you live in Arizona now. Uh, so, um, I feel bad for you. <laughs> Not a lot of great representation there. Uh, so, tell us about uh, what this movement was overall. Yeah, thank you, Jenk. I feel like in some ways it's been a blessing uh, in terms of my calling to try to be of service. You know, to have be uh, born and raised in West Virginia and living in Arizona with my wife now, and to have these two senators who are the most important blockade. Uh, to what we need to do in this country, uh, be from those two states, and to have the chance to try to organize and do something about it. You know, I feel it is fortunate. Um, and what we did in the sit-in for the soul of America was try to step up to the reality that we face in our country. We we didn't lightly use the hashtag sit-in to save America. We really believe that there are so many existential crises that we're facing as a country that we could do something about to really make a difference right now with the democratic control of the White House and Congress, if we could get through the blockade of the filibuster and mansion and cinema. And so we feel there's too much at stake to just accept that and not to do everything that we can to try to get through it. And so we felt like we had to use the tool of NABA and direct action to try to challenge them and say, we're not gonna take it anymore. And so we did actions in Tucson, Arizona and Charleston, West Virginia. Understanding that we need people across the country to be in this fight if we're gonna overcome, but there are senators, so we're leading the charge. Yeah, and Kai's wife actually used to work for Kristen Cinema, so I wanna come back to that in a little bit. But Stephen, let me go to you. So you're in the Tucson action, and let me ask you, what are your hopes there? So like, so Biden doesn't do anything against Manchin, nobody's doing anything against Manchin and, and Cinema. Uh, so obviously in Tucson, you're mainly focusing on cinema. But what are you hoping happens out of this action that could make a difference? Well, thanks for uh, for having me here on the on the show, and I really appreciate it and being able to voice uh, some of these uh, the concerns that we have and what we're trying to actually do. Um, you know, uh, Pima County, uh, Tucson, Arizona is in Pima County. It's a it's a rather progressive area, uh, you know, comparing to Maricopa County, for example. And so this is a kind of an area that can it can actually elect governors. Uh, you know, the the level of, of democratic vote is very high. So it's a very active community. It's a community that is uh, very uh, uh, coalitional, you might say. And we've been working at building coalition for over 32 years, and that's just you know the the Arizona Java Justice Coalition of which I'm a part of. But there's been a lot of other organizations that have given impetus to people's dreams and their needs and everything else. I'm just hoping that you know it is true that Kirsten Cinema, Senator Cinema, is from Tucson, Arizona, and we wanted to make clear. 
to the nation that uh, that we are uh, being being disappointed is a really big understatement with our senator. And I got to tell you one thing is that we try to do is to illustrate um, the fact that uh, Senator Sinema has an office here in Tucson, Arizona, and I don't think she's ever been there. It's a very small office. Uh, it's uh, you know they're paying rent there, and there's no staff. The doors are always locked. We actually made a, a video uh, where we actually um, uh, put the camera on the door, on the on the front door, which had a whole bunch of cobwebs. That's that's how, that's how that is the um, that is the attitude of Kirsten Cinema to the folks here in Tucson. And she was once uh, she was once a a very active uh, person in progressive movement here. That's a fact. Uh, but now I believe, and um, and I think it's it's a a growing majority here in the state that that her uh, you know her her lack of vote and her votes uh, in this sense she is an instrument of oppression. Uh, it's a it's a, an oppression that's a racist positions that she's taken uh, white white supremacy, and uh, what, what I I'm a trade unionist, and for somebody like that to thumb their nose at labor. To me, is an insult, and uh, you know. So there's a lot of things that we need, and we're trying to um, inspire uh, larger, larger groups in the country, more states, more cities, to take a position on this obstruction called the filibuster. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna get back to what a liar cinema is in a minute, uh, because I am very curious about Kai's uh, wife's um, experience with her earlier in her career. But Riley, let me go to you. So we, you know, cinema at least is polling badly among Arizona Democrats. The message has reached those good folks, despite corporate media's best efforts. But in West Virginia, we're told, oh no, you can't touch Mansion. There's nothing you can do about Mansion. Mansion's super popular, and and it's just totally hopeless. Now, is that your experience? What's your sense of it, and how can you fight back? I absolutely don't agree with that sentiment. I'm not sure what the current poll numbers are, but I've talked to thousands of West Virginians across the state. As part of Unpack, we ran the largest canvassing operation in West Virginia history last year to tell Manchin that he needs to pass the Freedom to Vote Act and to end the filibuster in order to do that. Um, and so many people that I talk to are absolutely fed up with Mansion, um, calling West Virginians, um, you know, saying that we'd use the child tax credit for drugs. Um, just the ways that he's disrespected us, disrespected coal workers by sitting as the chair of the Energy and Natural Resources Committee while making half a million dollars a year at the Grant Town coal plant is. Absolutely ridiculous, and I think a lot of West Virginians are waking up to that point um, and remembering their roots. As West Virginia was home to the largest labor uprising in United States history at the Battle of Blair Mountain, and our UMWA is doing such important organizing work here and standing up against Mansion. There are tons of us, and yeah, so I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be on here and share that message because it's not what the national media says. All right, so Kai, let me go back to you. So tell me about your wife's experience, because there was a time when Chris Sinema pretended to be a progressive. 
and uh, and you know how how was those days and how is she now? Well, that was before we met, uh, so I can't speak to it directly. But you know, having talked about it with her, she actually gave a really powerful speech outside of Cinema's office there in Tucson, which again, as Stephen said, to our knowledge, has never been open to the public, never even been staffed. So people should look that up on Twitter, um, Erika Andiola. But um, you know, she, like Stephen said, she was a progressive activist back in the day, and. When my wife Erika worked for her, she had changed a lot by that time from her experience in the state legislature and become focused on this kind of bipartisan coalition building, but still showed some more accountability to the communities that elected her. And she just continued to go more and more extremely in this other direction to the point where I don't know if I could find anyone in Arizona who was with her and helped to elect her and helped to get her started who would say publicly at this point that they still support her. I think she's betrayed the folks that really fought with her and stood with her in the past. And you know, you look at what she's doing now, it appears that it's really just her corporate donors that she's putting first rather than the people, rather than our democracy, rather than our planet. Or if anything, a very narrow and in my view, frankly, delusional view of her political future, that somehow things are gonna work out for her going down this path. I think the chances that she could be reelected in a democratic primary um, in our state are, are very, very low at this point. Steven, you feel like you were lied to? Lied to? Yeah. I think I was, I think I felt, I feel like I was betrayed. I feel that, you know, we worked a lot. You know, here in Arizona, it's hot. I don't know if you uh, if you know that or not. I do. Uh, but it is, very, it is very hot here. And when people go out in the blazing heat, door to door to talk to people, um, you're asking people to do a lot and to sacrifice a lot. And that's what we did here. Uh, people in droves believed in her. All of us wanted to have a, a Senate that would function for the benefit of working people. And we thought that Kirsten Cinema was that person. So yes, I do feel like I was lied to and betrayed. So what's the scenario in which these protests work? If um, a thousand people show up, 10,000 people show up, what would it take for the corporate media to cover it and to, and to show that there is resistance against Mansion and Cinema? Well, I think that's a crucial question. I want to say real quick, because Riley couldn't come back, that Mansion, you know, he has a lot more support from Republicans, and West Virginia is a different state that Trump won with this huge margin. But he still is a Democrat. He still needs the support of Democrats in the Democratic Party. And that is becoming more and more threatened as people have the courage to stand up against him like what we did. But I think the question you came back to is the one that we've been wrestling with. You know, because so many people, it sounds like they've given up Mansion and Cinema. They voted against the filibuster reform. Build Back Better's been stopped. Biden's not putting enough pressure on them. You know, Schumer, what is he doing right? But really, in our view, it comes down to us, to the people. What are we going to do? Are we going to accept that after working so hard to elect this democratic trifecta, when so much is at stake for our climate, this is our chance to do climate action. On gun violence, just the day after our action, the terrible massacre in Uvalde, and everybody's saying we've got to do something about the filibuster. What are we going to do to force them to do something about it? The whole Democratic Party coalition has to understand that the people that they depend on are not going to accept them not getting something done. And so we said, we've got to lead by example, even if it's small groups coming out in Tucson and Charleston relatively to start, we have to show we're not giving up. We're gonna escalate the fight. We're willing to disrupt business as usual, shutting down these important intersections in both cities in the downtown in the middle of the day. We're willing to make the sacrifice, willing to risk arrest or be 
arrested, to go to jail for justice, and to call on others to say that if the millions of us, if the millions of us across the country who really feel a deep sense of frustration, anger, dismay to see that we're being blocked by these two people and the rest of the party that won't push them to get them in line to do something about these things that our future, our lives depend on. If the millions of us are willing to stand up and really fight, and use our power nonviolently that anything is possible. And so we had to lead by example, but we need to see people across the country be willing to do what we did. And we believe we need to think about mass non-cooperation, about even things like general strikes. If that's, if that's what it's gonna take, whatever it's gonna take, we have to use our people power to get it done. And sit in for, uh, for the soul of America.org. People can go there now after what we did in Tucson and Charleston, we're gonna keep fighting. They can sign up to help organize nonviolent action in their states around the country as well as in, in Arizona and West Virginia. And, we, and we're not gonna give up fighting until, until, you know, when the election comes, the election comes, right? But we have to fight up until that point and do everything within our power. And I don't accept that we failed until we see the millions of people who are so deeply frustrated and angry about where we stand actually do something that matches what's at stake. Yeah, I, first of all, no, we haven't failed. Joe Biden has failed, he hasn't even tried. Uh, but I like the idea of filibustering the streets. You guys want to do obstruction in Congress? Maybe we could do obstruction elsewhere uh, so that you can feel our pain. But Riley, now that you're back, real quick, last question. Um, so what can Biden do about Joe Manchin? Because I hear from uh, corporate media and Democratic hacks that, oh no, there's nothing that could be done about Manchin. Biden must surrender to Manchin. Is that your point of view or do you think he's got some options? Absolutely not, he has options. Um, I went on a hunger strike for 23 days for the Freedom to Vote Act. And we took it to the White House because we spoke with Senator Sinema. We were the first group of people to speak with her in over a year, um, constituency wise. And we, nothing really happened. So she mentioned, you know, there hasn't been that much of a push for a rules change from Biden. Um, didn't say it exactly like that, but that was the vibe. So we took it to the White House and we demanded that Biden do more to pressure Manchin and Cinema. You know, he's got the bully pulpit there. He's not completely powerless. Um, so I want people to recognize that, that we can't just say, oh, this is Manchin and Cinema. This has been a pretty long time stance of Manchin's against the filibuster. and. So I'm not really surprised, although I'm continuing to be disappointed. And there is absolutely more that Biden should be doing and can do to pressure Manchin and Cinema to do the right thing, actually pass legislation that will save America. Yeah, so there's a million things he could do. And I don't think that he should necessarily start with this. But I did come up with an interesting idea as you were talking there, Riley. Imagine if Biden went on a hunger strike until Manchin and Cinema voted against the filibuster. Like, that would be the most spectacular story in a long, long time. But Biden wouldn't go on a hunger strike for 23 minutes <laughs> to, to get this done because he doesn't care. He agrees with Joe Manchin. That's my opinion. But I love that you guys are fighting in the streets and, and building people power. So, Riley Hot. A lead organizer at Unpack. Please check them out. Stephen Valencia, chair at Arizona Jobs for Just Jobs with Justice. Check them out. And Kai Newkirk, founder of the group For All. You guys are amazing, and we'll have all the links down below, including how to join their sit-ins. Okay, in the description box on YouTube and Facebook. Thank you all for joining us. We appreciate it.